Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We're bringing you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast. Kick-Ass Stepmom isn't saying we have all the answers though, guys, just in case you're like, Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast. That sounds a little bit full of yourself. (laughs) Being a kick-ass stepmom isn't about doing things right all the time. It's not about being the perfect stepmom. It is about finding ways to live a kick-ass life amongst the stress and extra challenges that come with being a stepmom. And with that includes having conversations that aren't just about being a stepmom, because that can be pretty damn depressing. Am I right? So a few months back, I was a guest on the Laughing Couples podcast, which by the way, highly recommend. We will tag it in the show notes. So Britt and Ryan Ostaff are the hosts of this podcast and they're hilarious. They are podcast hosts, obviously, creators online, and they're really all about making you laugh and laughing your way through parenthood. Here's the thing, though. Even though their reels and their Instagram account is just hilarious, and it looks like they are having the best time and laughing through the challenges that come with parenthood and just like, you know, super carefree, which they are. But here's the deal. Instagram doesn't tell the whole story, as it usually doesn't. These two have such a solid relationship and parenting philosophy, and I am just so excited to be able to have these conversations with you guys listening in today, because every time I listen to them on their podcast, I come out with a huge tip or a strategy or just like this mindset shift that improves the way that I show up in my marriage and for the kids. So in this episode, we dive into their parenting and family philosophy We talk about our commitment to creating relationships with our kids that last forever and that don't feel like an obligation. It's not just about being obedient and, you know, listen to us because we're the parents and we know everything. Both of us have a goal to create this healthy, long-term, mutually beneficial relationship so the kids actually want to hang out with us when they're an adult. We also talk about what their parents did to result in them becoming real life friends with their parents into adulthood. We dive into their couples meetings and how and why Britt and Ryan check in with each other quarterly and annually. They literally dive into exactly what they talk about, which is super helpful. And then we do go back to a conversation that we had on their podcast that I did with them about step parenting. So we left that conversation with some unanswered questions and we decided to circle back and share some of the reflections that Britt and Ryan had after talking about 
stepmom life with me on their pod. So this is super interesting because they found that having conversations about stepmom life and how being a stepmom has felt for me has opened up a lot of conversations for them in their marriage and changed their perspective about stepmoms in general. Now, the best conversations happen after the podcast. And you guys know I love, love, love hearing from you about what hits home, what grinds your gears, you know, whatever reaction you have. So if it feels aligned, come find me on Instagram at Jamie Scrimger. You can find Britt and Ryan at The Laughing Couple on Instagram. And if you're not already, be sure to follow the podcast Instagram. So at Kickass Stepmom Podcast to stay in the loop about all the things that we have going on. And speaking of that, heads up, if you haven't heard, we can now text each other. I have a text line for the podcast. So if you want to stay in the loop with new episodes, if you want to be able to send me a text and ask me anything for an episode or just, you know, connect with me, shoot me a text at 226-401-0819. If you text the word ebook to this line, the other great thing is that you will get a code to get 25% off my ebook, 120 Ways to Be a Kick-Ass Stepmom, which has just that. My top 120 tips, strategies, and mindset shifts for stepmoms who want to live a kick-ass life. The ebook covers boundaries, disengaging, dealing with in-laws, dealing with mutual friends and family, the ex, childless stepmoms, ours babies, improving your relationship, communicating about the hard stuff, dealing with a high-conflict ex, all the things, no matter what your stepfamily situation is, there is something for you in here. So text the word ebook and I will shoot you the code. That's it for this spiel. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show. So there's just kind of like a modge podge of things that I just thought we could chat about today. So I think maybe to start, can you give us an idea of who you are, what you got going on in case someone hasn't been following your Instagram, which I think most people are at this point? I think it's important to establish before we get into that, that Brittany and I talk over each other on a consistent basis. And, <laughs> and the reason I say this up front is because for the people who don't know who we are, they right. think, wow, those two don't really get along, but we do. It's just the banter that we have. <laughs> You're just preparing. We cut each other up all the time, but that's fine. That Ryan is me. Yeah. So we are a husband and wife. We started our own podcast two years ago, right before the pandemic, because we were kind of feeling like there was a missing in the space about like raw, real parenting uh, relationships. And there's a lot of podcasts out there that help you with therapists and psychologists, but we wanted to talk about maybe the stuff that not everybody talks about. So we started this podcast. It's been a whirlwind, lots of amazing guests like yourself. And yeah, we just, we kind of take it as it comes, fly up the seat of our pants, as I was saying. It, it is now. It is now. Someone um, has now said it. I try to find a lot of humor in things and relatability. And like Ryan said, it's like you bicker a lot, so don't take it personal. You bicker with love. It's all about love. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the whole podcast is wrapped around, I think, more than anything, respect. But it's finding the humor in stuff that's not always so glamorous. Yeah. And we find that so many people in our community, the reason that they're in our community is because they're going through the same things that we're going through. They thought they were doing it on their own because, you know, Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all these things, they don't show that side of the world. Mm -hmm. And so we do, we expose it, but we do it in a way that realizes like, yes, it was ineffective here, but here's how we became effective in it. And more or less, our podcast is us actually getting coaching <laughs> around our own marriage. Well, it humanizes us, right? Like if we have a, an expert on, we often use our own scenarios 
to not keep it hypothetical. Like it's literally like, well, this happened to us. Like what is, what is your advice on it? So we also get a lot of free sessions. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, obviously it's the laughing couple. So laughing is huge for you guys. You guys are always seem to be, you know, giggling about something. And is that a strategy for you guys in terms of dealing with the hard stuff? Is it something you guys have like done deliberately? Like you have that mindset around it or is it just kind of how you were raised? Well, I've always coped with humor. Same. So I'm I'm uncomfortable at like funerals and stuff. Like I met lying in the burning lady song. Just to kind of get the last I think it's natural for us both as individuals to go to the route of humor mm-hmm. in uncomfortable situations. But for us, it's now become part of the structure on how we communicate. It's realizing and recognizing that, yes, this isn't the best scenario, but there's something to learn from it. And, you know, the old saying, you can either laugh or cry. Mm-hmm. We just don't choose to cry very frequently. <laughs> And yeah, humor seems to be the way for us to get, humor is always the way I get out of a fight with Brittany. Oh, and it's so annoying. Like we'll be in like a full argument. We don't fight a lot, but like once we'll have like a heated disagreement or an argument and like Ryan is very good at, basically we both set our piece and he's like, okay, everything's fine. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, no, like I want to be mad still. Like I'm not ready to not be mad at him. And he always is like, he'll make some like stupid ass joke or like, be like, I just want to let you know that you are so beautiful. <laughs> Seriously, like it's so annoying because it gets me out of my mood and I'm not ready. I still want to be mad. I'm just very stubborn. Yeah, it's not a bad problem to have. I know it's just annoying. <laughs> I think it's a terrible problem to have to constantly want to be mad at somebody. So no, I try uh, to diffuse it. Immediately. It's not that. It's just like I still need some space to like cool off. Right? I'm right. like those things that you wind up, they just slowly unwind. Like I'm not just You're like that you know, talking mouth thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the teeth thing. Yeah, yeah the that's teeth me. Thing. You're but the chatter. Like it, it slowly just goes away. Yeah, and then I'm I'm tired of hearing it. So I <laughs> I make a joke about it. Okay, <laughs> now, now we can end this conversation. I heard what you had to say. Let's move on. Shut your face. Yeah, so that is so up. good. You know, so I have been having some conversations with my sister and a couple of my friends lately just about parenting and the type of relationship that we want to have with our kids. And we've been like playing the long game and thinking like, okay, I want to raise kids who want to hang out with me when they're older, who don't feel like obligated. Oh, I got to go to my mom's for dinner. Oh, I got to, you know, do these things like those obligatory relationships. And I've noticed when in following along with you guys, you guys have great relationships with your parents. Brittany, your mom and, and your dad, I think, are on your TikTok videos and on your reels and are like freaking hilarious. Oh, yeah. So I would love to dive into that because your parents are your friends. And what did they do growing up or like in fostering this relationship to make you want to still hang out with them, you know, mm-hmm. as an adult? Because I think like that's every parent's goal, right? It's to have kids who want to be around us instead of dreading it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's important to give credit for credits too. Our parents put the work in. Yeah. To answer your question or to kind of run with it, our parents are our best friends. Yeah. And that's not in a lonely kind of way of approaching it. We do have other friends, but our parents really are the foundation from our friendships. And that is because of my in-laws and because of my parents, what they did for us. We were just talking about this. Yeah, we were. I feel like for me too, my parents growing up a few things, we were always the house that hosted 
like parties or get togethers. My parents, like Ryan's, were my friends, like second sets of parents. So like they were always around. They would rather have everybody there and feel comfortable. They were the ones that we called if we were ever like underage drinking at a party and they would come pick us up, right? Like those were the people that we trusted and my friends did the same way. But I was just talking to actually a psychologist about this today and and she has two teenage boys. She was saying, which I thought was brilliant. She's like, I look at it as like myself as like a lighthouse. Like how do you get your kids to like stay stay around, but like also like want to be around you. And she's like, I'm just kind of there. I'm not crying. I'm not like, what did you do? How was your day? Tell me all the things. But she's like, when my my son comes home, she sits on the couch and it's like 11 PM. He finally gets home and she's just there. And he'll like open up to her just because she's around, not by her being like, so tell me like, where were you? What like, do you know what I mean? It's just like, you're always there. Your intent is to just like be available and just to be transparent with that. Right. My parents were very similar in nature to that. My mom and dad, their philosophy was, we know you're going to do things that you probably shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. because they did things that they probably shouldn't have been doing. Their way of looking at it was, I'd rather you do those things at our house because now we can control the environment and we can also see who you hang out with when you're not at home. So we know, okay, you're going out with this person. We feel comfortable with them. You're going out with that person. Nah. You know, maybe we just drive home the fact, don't drink and drive, don't do this, don't do that. But very similar to Brittany, my parents also hosted a lot of parties. Mm -hmm. Not only did they allow us to host a lot of parties, they actually hosted a lot of parties. And so my parents were very effective at being parents and then turning it off and being humans. And I got to hang out with my dad and my mom, mainly my dad. I got to see him interact with his friends and drink a little bit more than he probably should have on certain nights. But I got to meet my dad, not meet my father. That um, happened like older. Like it's very important to like be a parent first and then you drive that Oh yeah, right? for sure. But I'm not even suggesting the whole friendship thing yet. Yeah. I think that friendship blossomed because I was able to actually watch my dad interact with his friends and have fun with his friends. And then it allowed me to be like, oh, he's not this like overbearing, protective human being that I'm deathly afraid of. It's like he's a human being who has fun and can let loose And then I aspired to be that same kind of human, to let go and and to have that. And then as I got older and closer in age, drinking age, and certainly once I was past the drinking age, I had been around his friends my whole life and I had been around him his whole life. So now it was almost along the lines of like, instead of me being the kid in the corner, having fun with all the kids, now we collectively as friends, because their kids' friends were our friends, we are all now in the same place, having the same experiences And we got to participate in it. So I think a friendship just came on with the fact that they were human beings, not just parents all the time. Would your parents say if they were wrong? Like, would they apologize? (laughs) Like, My dad, no. 100%. No? No. Even today. No. (laughs) Both of our dad's names are Rick. It's really funny. But no, No. your dad, no. My dad is Mm, like the apologizer in like the, oh, I'm sorry that made you upset. Like, uh. I'm sorry you're so sensitive. Like, it's not like really your dad, apology, your dad. Like, or you would cut it with humor. Yeah, you're so, like, you're just done being upset because he said so and he'll make a joke and you're like, okay, I guess. It's- yeah, your dad, <laughs> your dad, and I don't mean this in a negative way, his way of apologizing is kind of a little gaslighting. It is. <laughs> uh, he apologizes by making you feel like you shouldn't have been upset in the first place. But to be fair to him, and you're like, and my dad's the same. I, my dad, my dad will not say sorry at all. Yeah, your dad's real. He'll just start though. talking to you again. 
I don't want to also glaze over the fact that like generationally, like we learned a lot from our parents and it comes down to our parenting styles is also like, we love to have fun with our kids, like having fun with them. And you're not just being a parent all the time. Like you can obviously, you have duties, but like Riley and Cooper are excited. Like we have like Mario Kart battles and races. It's the experiences and the quality of time versus the quantity of time that your kids really remember. Like my parents were big on like experiences. We would do a lot of things as a family. And so we try to do that. Why are you laughing at well, Because the question was, do your parents apologize? I know, but I just said, I don't want to glaze over this. I wasn't oh, done talking oh, about oh, the yeah. other thing. Yeah. You're done. You're done. I already answered that. And I wanted to go back to it because oh, I wasn't really yeah, talking yeah. probably because you cut me off. Oh, yeah. For and sure. I wasn't allowed to <laughs> No, I love that. Well, I thought about the apologizing piece because you were saying like my dad showed me like he was a human being too, like outside of being a parent. Because I think sometimes parents get so stuck in like the role like, oh, I have to be the parent. I have to have it all together. I know what's right and what's wrong. And like just in that role versus, you know, having fun. So I love that because I do think, you know, especially now as conversations are changing and like people are becoming their authentic selves. They're setting boundaries with their family. They're saying like, if I don't want to hang out with someone, I'm not going to hang out. Like people aren't afraid to say no anymore. So it's like, Mm -hmm. that's going to trickle into relationships with parents as well. So, you know, having that relationship with your kids that they know that you're a safe person to come to and that you will always be there and that you're fun to be around, I think is everyone's goal, right? Like that's definitely, for sure. I hope to achieve the same thing with our kids. Yeah, it's hard. I think too, like, you only have so much control over who your kid hangs out with, right? Like you want them to come to you, you want them to hang out with you, but you have to look at it as like, also placing people in your kids' lives, like whether that be like a coach, like you were really big into sports, whether that be like a music teacher or whoever, or your friends, like you're really close friends. They're also very good parents or you have similar parenting styles. They're like buoys you're kind of swimming and then you're like, Oh, I I reached like a safe space here because you're letting them go swim, but you've also placed things to allow them to like still be around that good people so that they're all kind of connected and then like come back to you. Like, you know, that there's a safety net here and here and here and here. So they're getting that freedom, but they're also choosing where they get to go. Yeah. And the other thing is, is the ideal situation is that you have your kids want to hang out with you when they're older, but the truth of the matter is they have free will and they might not want to. We've got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. Our kids are young and we recognize the long-term play that you've talked about earlier. We realize that this is what the end goal is for us is to have that connection with them. But, you know, as they get older and as they become more who they are, we might not like them <laughs> and, and they might not like us. There's just people in this world that you just don't get along with. And we hope and we pray that we do the right things and we say the right things and we set ourselves up for success. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they're going to choose whether they want to participate in our lives or not. Mm-hmm. We will always make love. ourselves available. We'll always love them. There just might be times where we don't like them. Yeah. They just might be a-holes yeah. when they get older. I remember my mom saying, Graham, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And I was like, yes. that's so rude. I remember thinking, like, who says that? And now I'm, like, talking to my daughter who's turning eight but you'd think she's 19 yes and I'm like you little biatch like I I get it I totally (laughs) totally get it I was thinking back when you're saying like inserting people you know having them surrounded with mentors and people who are positive influences remember my dad would say I was hanging out with a bad crowd I think he had me followed actually because 
I would go to this boy's house. I was in grade seven. He was in grade eight. Like by high school, he was in jail. Like he was like not a good kid. And I wouldn't be at his house for six minutes after school. And my dad's truck was in the driveway. Beep, beep, like honking the horn and freaking me out. But I remember he used to say, birds of a feather flock together. (laughs) I used to think that it was just the dumbest thing I'd ever heard anyone say. And again, now I'm a parent. I'm like, I'm so glad that you picked me up because I totally would have been in jail too. Right. You would. And it's so frustrating. Like, you know, when your parents would say to you when you were young, they would be like, when you're a parent, you'll understand. I used to be like, can you not? Like your mindset is just not there when you're a kid. And now it can't be. But now it's just kind of like, shit. Like, I wish I could go back to myself and just punch myself in the face a couple of times because there were some people that I'm like, it's questionable who I was knowing. Yeah, and I think inherently, as a parent, you're always hard on yourself. You always question your decisions and, you know, we'll yell at the kids, they'll go to bed, we'll walk into their rooms and they're sleeping and we feel like bags of shit because we weren't the best version of ourselves in that moment. Now that they're sleeping and they're innocent, they're not talking back to us, they're like perfect angels. And we're always like, man, why did we do that? And someone once told me, and I thought, you know what, this is the way to live as a parent. They said, your job as a parent is very simple. Your job is to get them to an age where they can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. That's it. If they get to that age that they can take care of themselves, you did your Effectively. job. Effectively. You did your job. Anything over and above that is a bonus. The only thing you signed up for was to make sure that you took care of them long enough for them to take care of themselves. We always say that that's all our job is. And we hope and we pray that they're not assholes. That's it. There's too many assholes. Yeah. If they end up being our friends, if they end up being the best version of us out to public and they do big things and great things, amazing. If they don't, that's on them. Mm-hmm. Our and job was just to get them to a stage where they had choices. Mm-hmm. And give them the tools they need to to do that. What they choose yeah. to do with it is, yeah, it's been really interesting. So my stepdaughter is in, she's going to her second year university. Okay. Sidebar. I got to tell you this because I feel like you'll get it. She signs the lease and in her lease agreement, it says that they will not put a couch on their front lawn. Did you do that when you went to school? Like you would like sit out and like party in like the front lawns or anything like that? Of course. St. Patrick's Day, that's how you party. Yeah. You had to like drink on the front lawn with the couch from the living room of your student rental. Now that you say that, I've been to plenty of parties that had couches, but like when we rented a house, like I was with three other girls, like we would never. Hey, I was with four other girls and we had the couch and lazy boy on the thing. Oh my God. No, the owner of this house, she would never allow that. But that is so funny that that is in the lease. Are you serious? Yeah. I said to her, I'm like, well, that's bullshit. Like what are you supposed to do in St. Patty's day? <laughs> She's like, exactly. So she is going into her second year university and my stepson is graduating high school this year. He's doing a co-op and doing apprenticeship and all of that. And it's been really interesting because as parents, we think we know what's right. And Darren and I really caught ourselves being like, yeah, you have to, like, why wouldn't you go to university? Like, cause we both went to university and we both loved it. Like we're the people who talk like we went to university last year, but the kids <laughs> think we're so lame, but we're like, this is what you do. Like, you don't want to close doors. You make these choices and you make those choices. And, you know, we went through a period where one of my stepsons was really rebelling against us and like, he could not stand us. And it was because we thought we knew what was best. Like, this is what's best. You don't know. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful he kind of fought back because he's taught us so much, right? And we've, you know, praised him for it, actually. Like, I'm glad he did it. Mm -hmm. Thinking we know what our kids need and like, what's the best? Because we're all these individual people and like, what's best for us 
isn't what was best for our parents like years ago. And we think that we're different, right? Because we're like younger or closer to it. But it's been just really interesting to like listen to him and be like, oh, this is what you want. Okay, this is what your plan is. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It's different than what we envisioned for you. Yeah. But you are your own person. It's like what you're saying. They are their own people. Absolutely. It's funny. We we do this not even with our own kids. We do this like anyone who's listened to this podcast goes on to Instagram and judges people. Yeah. Like judges their actions. Why would they do that? that? Why would they say that? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? That marriage is failing because she's not paying attention. Blah, blah, blah. We just are constantly judging the people around us um, that have no control over our lives and have really nothing to say in our lives. And yet we do it. It's just an inherited thing. And someone once told us that you're either judging or you're creating. That's it. You can't do both at the same time. So when you're judging a situation, you're not in a space of what's possible. Mm -hmm. So when your son comes to you or your daughter comes to you and they come to you with something that you don't agree with, the moment you recognize that you're judging the situation, you're completely on the possibility of what could this be? And you eliminate it from them by going at them and saying, no, we know best. That's not the right way of doing it. So it's more along the lines of the second you recognize that you're judging the situation, good, bad, or indifferent, you've eliminated possibility from the conversation. So stop yourself from that, recognize that you're doing that, and ask more questions. Because they may talk themselves out of it just by you asking the right questions rather than telling them what there is to do. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is so good. Yeah, Yeah. listen, right? Mm -hmm. Just listening instead of telling. And listen to listen, like don't listen to respond which is so hard to do. Hey, that's what I say to my husband all the time. Can you listen to understand, not listen to respond? You're just thinking about what you're going to say next to me. It's true though, right? But it's hard to apply those... Survival. It's hard to apply those same theories to your kids, right? Like, but it makes sense. Like, I get so annoyed. Like, when our eight-year-old, if she just turned eight again, eight going on 18, she'll be talking and I'm like, literally, I'm just waiting for her to stop talking so that I can be like, blah, 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 like... I can tell you what is actually happening. And she has said to us multiple times, mom, I hate when you interrupt me. Like she now comes to me and says, before you say anything, can I please finish talking? And I'm like, oh my God. Like, so now I put my tail between my legs and I'm really trying really hard to just let her say her piece, even though I know what she's saying, the answer is going to be no. Like it's stupid things. Like, can I go for a play date? It's nine nine o'clock at night. Like dumb things that the answer will be no, but just allowing her to speak, get her piece out so she can feel heard without me destroying her dreams is very important. And it's hard to do. Yeah. She's eight, but she's teaching us. And it's not just Brittany to Riley or Riley to me. It's Brittany and I to each other. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't assume, you know what I'm going to ask. Even if you're 95% accurate, it's that 5% that you're not listening to that we could work with. Yeah. There's some workability in that 5%. And there are sometimes they will do it to Riley. We'll be like, yeah, no, Riley, you can't do it. She'll like, let me talk. And then she'll ask the question. I'm like, oh, why would we say no to that? Yeah, but sometimes that makes I sense. feel like she sure. knows. Of course she can. She's so smart. Like, we'll be like, I know what you're going to ask. And then you can see her wheel spinning and she'll change what she was originally going to ask to something whack that she didn't originally going to say, but she knew that we were going to say no. She's like, that's not even what I was going to say. And like, pull something else. And we we're like, oh, well, you want that? But you're right. We struggle though. We absolutely struggle with it. It's an ongoing conversation in our household. And it's our eight-year-old who brings it out on us all the time. Yeah. Let me mm-hmm. finish, guys. Let me finish, guys. Love it. 
I am so pumped about my newest partnership with Newcom. As I said, I have been actively trying to minimize stress and calm my mind and carve out time in my day for stillness and meditation, which as we know is easier said than done in this busy, stressful world that we're currently living in. So Newcom is patented neuroscience technology clinically proven to lower stress and improve sleep quality. It gives you the power and control to slow down and recharge when you need to by guiding you to your natural recovery state. Within minutes, Newcom guides your brain waves to frequencies for deep recovery and restoration. Amen. So here's how it works. You apply the Newcom biosignal processing disc to your inner left wrist. Then you connect headphones to your mobile device and select your Newcom journey in the mobile app. Cover your eyes with the Newcom light blocking eye mask, get comfortable and zen out. It is so freaking good. Newcom is the world's first and only patented technology clinically proven to lower stress and improve sleep quality without drugs. For more than 20 years, the company has been helping people like elite military operators, to cancer patients, to pilots, to professional athletes, to veterans, to regain control of their lives by helping them manage stress. It used to be a $6,000 class three medical device. Now it's easier to use and much more affordable through a subscription. So for as little as $167 per day, you can take control of stress, poor sleep, and own the day. Newcom has become one of my favorite rituals and is my new favorite form of self-care. I cannot tell you how good this feels. So you can learn more and get all the details at www.newcom.com and use the code JAMIE10OFF for 10% off. That's www.newcom.com and use the code JAMIE10 for 10% off. Now you guys on a podcast episode, I think it was at the beginning of the year, you talked about you do like a couples meeting, like a couples check-in. Mm-hmm. Quarterly check-in. Our quarterlies. So good. Can you share a little bit about that with the listeners? Because I get a lot of questions about this kind of stuff from couples who are looking to kind of stay on track, get back on track, get organized, all the things. Yeah. Well, it's important to know that when we do these quarterly check-ins, the foundation or the baseline from communication is effectiveness. And the reason we say this is because the stuff that we talk about, if it's not agreed upon that everything we're saying is designed to better our situation, then it's a negative. So nothing we say is a negative, even though it's not a positive. It's just ineffective. It's not a make wrong. Both parties have to come into the conversation by saying these are the things that aren't effective, but it doesn't mean that you're wrong for it, if that makes sense. We try to wrap zero morality around what it is. So what this is, and Brittany and I meet every quarter, obviously at the beginning of the year, we have our goals, our intentions, our outcomes, and all that stuff. But we start each quarter by ending the previous quarter. So we go through, here's what we discussed last quarter. Here's what we wanted to accomplish. What on this list did we accomplish? What on the list did we not accomplish? what worked really effectively and what did not work really effectively. And then what can we put in this quarter that would make the thing that wasn't effective, effective. And then what do we want to create this quarter? Mm-hmm. We had interviewed someone the other day and they said, one of the main reasons that marriages fail, there's like a four tiered system to like a relationship or attraction is what it was. Mm-hmm. One of the key elements, the last element to why marriages fail, everything can be going perfectly fine. But if you're not creating new events to work towards or new goals or intentions to have, then you become stagnant in the relationship. And then all of the other things start to fall like a house of cards. And so the real intention of it is to 
get rid of all of the things that weren't effective, put in the things that are effective, and then create new intentions and outcomes for the next quarter. And we do it every quarter as opposed to every half year or to every year because we want to move our relationship with velocity. Things change too, right? Like, and it's also a matter of like, and again, it's not a make wrong, but like say something happened in the last three months, the last quarter that was like really hard for me, whether like maybe our child started a new extracurricular. So I was maybe short of time because I was taking the kid to blah, blah, blah. So it then affects me because I'm unable to do this, this, and this. So I can bring up, you know, like this was ineffective for me because I lost out. So next quarter I could really use X, Y, and Z as opposed to like approaching that with me being like, you didn't do anything here. I was the one that like had to take Cooper to this. And then like, I missed out on my work or my gym, whatever. It's just so important to have like the words around it have to be very clear. And then the intent is not to make Ryan wrong. It was just like, how can we be more effective? This wasn't working for me. Is there something, is there a schedule change that we could do? Like, and it's hard to do because everyone becomes very defensive, right? And it takes practice. Like we weren't like, let's do our quarterly check-in. And the first one, we were like, pardon me. Like we, we were very like combative with each other. So it's a learning process. So if people are going to try this, like it's not going to work right away. You both just have to arrive with the same transparency and intent. Yeah. And the other key to this whole thing working effectively is you also don't have to wait for your quarterly event to have a conversation about something that's not working. Mm -hmm. If there's something that's in the space on a daily basis, we are very intentional with attacking it. We go right at it. We lean into it. We discover what's not working in that moment so that we can get rid of it. At the end of the quarter, however, there is some things that linger. There are some things that we talked about multiple times like laundry or cleaning the house or doing the dishes or something that's annoying for one of us, not annoying for the other. But if it keeps coming up, then our quarterly check-in is designed, okay, this has come up multiple times in the last three months. There is no structure to support it. Let's create a structure to support it so that it doesn't have to carry into the next quarter. But that's really it. It's a check-in. It's very intentional. It's very goal-driven. But we do not start the new quarter until we've completed the old quarter. And that, I think, is what really makes it effective. Mm -hmm. Do you have categories? Like of areas that you go through? Sometimes. Yes. Well, we, get, we have started, yeah, business, family. Se- I always have the sex category. Uh, <laughs> no, but just, this is ineffective. I just throw it in there. <laughs> still ineffective. Brittany, still ineffective. And health would be like physical and mental health. So like say like it can just be encompassed in both of that, right? Like this quarter, I really want to hit the gym or I need to make time for that. This quarter, I really need more self-care. I need to go do X, Y, and Z. So yeah, when we first did it, we had like specific categories, but now I think it's just become so organic that we just go through them without realizing, but yes, it is. Mm -hmm. If you break it down, there's a financial conversation. There's a mental and physical health conversation. There's a children conversation. There's a marriage conversation. And and then there's a friend's conversation because ultimately and specifically with all the things that have happened in the last two years with COVID, you're in these little teeny micro bubbles of friends and you're missing the people that you normally see and you don't have the same social life. So how does that impact you mentally? How does that impact you physically? Maybe we can insert those things. If we don't get to see these friends on a regular basis because they're not in our bubble, let's create a space where two weeks prior to that bubble, 
We don't do anything so that we can get them into our bubble for a week or so. So yes, all of those things kind of, they're naturally conversations with us. But if you really break them down, there's finance, there's marriage, there's family, there's health, which is mental and physical. And then there's friends. Mm -hmm. That's so good. You brought up the annoying piece, like things that you're doing that's annoying. So as part of your podcast, you guys have the I love you, but you're annoying. It's really a... Therapeutic. It's super therapeutic. Yes, so good. Like every... (laughs) Tell us about that because I think it's so good. And I think it's actually a really great practice for all couples to just do like throughout their their daily life, right? Because it just tells someone that something bugs them without being like combative. It holds us accountable too. So so it's very, very important that it's I love you and you're annoying, not I love you, but you're annoying, right? So like... I can still love you and this is really annoying. While I love you, you're still annoying. Oh, okay. The wording, got it. It's a way for us to uh, just be very like intentional about our feelings. Every single relationship people bicker in, there are things and idiosyncrasies that like would drive you nuts, especially like when you first move in together, perhaps, right? Like we used to say it was like the newlywed thing, but now people are moving in before they're getting married. So it's mostly like a really good thing to note when you are just starting to live with someone or you're in a new relationship or in a one that's been like going on for so long, there are things that your partner talks about you. Yeah, we hated each other when we moved <laughs> So, and some weeks we don't really have any. We're like, I don't know what my life, and those are great weeks, but we will find something that maybe has just been frustrating. And sometimes it's just a way to get rid of those like small nitpicky things that previously would build and it would snowball. And then we would have this like massive fight about something so insignificant, but it was never really about that small thing because we didn't address all of the other snowballs before it got to that big snowball. So it allows us to just like get it out of our system, talk about it for a couple minutes. And it is very lighthearted. Sometimes we do get like, it's mostly me getting really annoyed with Brian, but because we're on the podcast, it allows us not to be like raging, but then it's like, it's done, right? Like here it is. You heard me. It's done. Please don't do that anymore. Can you give me an example? Sure. Every single week, mine is laundry. Brian is, he's very notorious for like, he'll do his laundry. Like he'll put his own laundry in. I have now refuse to do Ryan's laundry. Like our solution to this is currently I do my laundry and I do the kids laundry and Ryan does his own laundry. So that helped at first because I was like, I cannot manage a household of laundry. Like I'm now working full time. Like it's ridiculous. I'm like, I'm not doing your laundry anymore. And he was like, cool. But now it's really frustrating for me because Ryan will do his own laundry, but he also now has like five baskets of clean laundry that is scattered in different locations of our house. And he just lives out of the laundry basket. And I'm like, this is really annoying, but he is a tunnel vision. Like a lot of men, they <laughs> like, okay, they're like, I need to get from A to B. So they will go from A to B where a lot of women and not to be sexist, but we will be like, I'm going to be, but uh, uh, a and a half over here. I didn't put the dryer. I'll pick up this towel. I got to put it in. Like, do you know what I mean? Our brain goes all over the place. That's because you guys go from A to Z. We go you to do, A to B. For sure. But now I see these baskets everywhere. And I'm like, is he ever going to put these freaking clothes away? So my neighbor said, she goes, here's what you have to understand. She gave this like analogy. She's like, women's brains are like a bowl of spaghetti. Just like noodles and like thoughts and like multitasking and like all the things, right? It's like, I remember one time having a conversation with my husband, he needed to do something and he had put something in the microwave for three minutes. And I was like, can you go grab that thing for me upstairs? She's like, yeah, I'm just microwaving this. I'm like, look down, I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. You got three minutes. Like there's no jobs here, right? Like this is a waiting game. I'm like, why don't you just run upstairs and do it now? He's like, I'm making food. I'm like, yeah. then the microwave is making food. You have three minutes. He's like, wait till I'm done. Right. But it's because men, 
are like a waffle. And it's like you fill up one square with syrup and then fill up the next square with like, there's not, and it's, there's pros and cons to each, right? Cause like how many times are you doing a million things and get like them all half done, sure. but just the difference yeah. between the brains. I always have to share that. Cause I think it's like such a good analogy. I thought you were going to so say, true. I thought you were going to say women's brain is like cooked spaghetti. We're intertwined with everything and, and men's brains are just like raw, straight noodles, like one line noodle. <laughs> Actually, on. I thought that's where the analogy was going to go I too. Like the waffle one though, because it is compartmentalized, right? Like they're very like, I can't do this one until one I job at a time. Yeah. They're like, I'm at work. I'm like, I'm working yeah. too, but I'm also doing laundry and I'm also like making sure that the kids signed up for the things. Like I don't, I don't understand, but we're just wired differently. Now, Ryan, you're, I love you, but you're annoying. What's yeah. So then the, I think recently I've discovered that my wife and we got into an argument about this on the podcast. Is she going to hate that I bring it back up? But I don't understand. This is what I don't understand. At bedtime, when we're putting the kids to bed, are you seriously going to bring this up right now? Do you not want me to? No, go ahead. But like, (laughs) I will absolutely take you down a ton of. I know I'm going to get killed on this. I know I'm going to get killed on this, and yet, and yet, it's annoying for me. So I, it's another shovel for your grave you're about to dig. My whole thing is this, as an adult human being, you either have to go to the washroom or you don't have to go to the washroom. There is no try when it comes to the number two. When we're going to put the kids to bed, often I find Brittany's touched out, hypertension is through the roof. She's keeping her cool together. I know why she's doing it, but she'll disappear. And it's bedtime or putting the kids to bed. And I'm like, why am I doing this by myself? This is like a joint thing that we have. And so I'll say, kids, do you know who your mom is? And kids are like, no, I don't know where my mom is. I said, I'll be like, Britt, where are you? I'm trying to go poo. And I'm like, wait a second. Are you trying to go poo or are you pooing? Because if you're pooing, no problem. No problem. You poo all you want. It can be as long as you want it. It can be as short as you want it. You can read Cosmo in there all you want. Just enjoy your poo. But if you're trying to poo, can you try after the kids go to bed? That's that just is my thought. She's like can a you, dude. Like that's like a dude thing. Like, no, but this, this is she the just thing. Leaves. No, this is like the most hilarious part about this is that this is a lot of TMI for everybody. But usually when I have to go to the bathroom, I'm like done. Like literally in 30 seconds, I will be done. But because, and this has been recently, it hasn't been forever. Like our diet has changed and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling super great. So I will literally take two minutes max. Stop. <laughs> I will literally be in the bathroom for two minutes. And then I'm like, I wonder if I have to go to the bathroom. And all Ryan has to do is go upstairs and help the kids brush their teeth. That is his number one job. And pajamas. Oh my God. And tucked in. And make sure the fans are on. Make sure the sound machines are on. This is Either way. I just, I'm, and I have, no, I, I have no problem with it. I'm, this is my my annoying. Oh my god! But the, I'm taking it. No, the best part about this is that every time Ryan shits, every time he it is forty five minutes in but, the bathroom. No, it's oh, yeah. twenty for it, sure. Twenty, not more than that. But it doesn't really matter. That doesn't really matter because I'm not trying. Oh my god! I am doing. You're doing it. That's the annoying thing. Just like don't try. It reminds me of my husband though, because my husband once and he'll kill me for even saying this, but he'll go and he's like, I, I got to see if I have to go. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, there's this pressure that happens like when you have to go. Like, yeah. what do you mean you have to see if you have to go? And he'll go in and then he'll come out. It's like 25 minutes later. And he's like, yeah, I didn't even have to go. I'm like, you sat there for 25 minutes mm. just seeing if you had to? Like, This is valid, but that's this never is my me. That is never This is my me. point. Ever me. Thank you so much. And the most hilarious part is, is that I didn't have time throughout the day because I was working 
full time and then I get the kids and I continue to work full time and make dinner. I haven't had time. Listen to this rebuttal. And he's like, Ooh, what are you doing? Listen to this rebuttal. I don't have time to poo. So I'm going to, so I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to see if I have to poo. This is so annoying. I'm so I didn't have any time to poo today. So I might Just so you guys don't get an argument. We're going to get into an argument after this podcast though. Probably. Okay. Well, save it. The one thing I really wanted to go back to. So when I was on your podcast, we were talking, it was like about the things not to say to stepmoms. And we were having a conversation and you're like, well, shoot, those were all the questions that I wanted to ask. And so the conversation shifted from a different perspective, but I would love to circle back to that because I think that was super funny. And that what are the questions that people want to say to stepmoms or want to ask to stepmoms when you guys were preparing for that podcast that you were like, uh, oh shoot, now I can't ask that. Cause I was talking about how like people are always kind of baiting stepmoms into saying what's happening or, you know, there's the evil stepmom stereotype and the double standard and all of that kind of stuff. So I was like, you know what, that'd be kind of funny to go back to, to wrap up the episode. You know what? We were just talking about this before because we read the little like pre-notes and fortunately, I think that we really did get a lot from that podcast and it wasn't like we had specific questions, but it was more like stuff that you shared with us. We were like, oh, we saw it in like a different perspective. Like it would be like if you were at a hockey game and your friend comes up and they're a stepmom and your first thought is you want to be relatable, but you also know that it is different, right? Because the way you are acting to your kids and the way that a stepmom is acting to her kids, but also like somebody else's kids, it would be harder. I think it would be harder, right? So I feel like my first thought would be like, do you ever feel like you can't fully parent someone's kids, like in fear that you're going to like step on their other mom's toes? But like right then and there, I'm putting this like separation between a mother, like you're still a mother. I don't know. Like, I I feel like there wasn't anything specific for me because you really did answer it, but like you made us see things in a different light. Yeah. I would say. Well, you you kiboshed a lot of the questions that I was going to ask personally, because when, and you know this, when you're bringing on guests, you do a background check on them, you see what they're into, what they talk about. You try to create some relatability with the questions that you structure. And what I found was coming on to talk about being a stepmother, every question I had was negative. It was negative. Like, for instance, here's a great question. Who's worse, the baby's mother or the former wife or the former wife's mother? <laughs> like worse? What do you mean? Like for you to deal with, what's hard, like what's harder for you to deal with your partner's ex or your partner's ex-mother? Because mother-in-laws are difficult. See, I have no, we would have no communication really with her mom. Yeah. And see, that's strange to me because if I look at our relationship, if something were to happen between Brittany and I, I know how much Brittany's parents are still involved with my kids. So if I brought another woman into the equation, they're going to cross paths with my mother-in-law. Yeah, but I think it more comes to like, if they want to see the kids, they would probably ask your husband to coordinate that, right? Like to reach out to you would be a little odd or her. Like, hey, when can we see the kids? When do you have the kids? Yeah. Well, it's really interesting though. There is like that shift, right? And I think sometimes when there's a divorce, you forget about the trickle effects. So it's like, say you guys split up, but you're very close and like your parents see the kids all the time and like vice versa. And then all of a sudden you're on like a week on week off, right? And Mm -hmm. so say Brittany's still talking all the time to Ryan's parents. 
and still has a really close relationship. And then Ryan moves on Mm -hmm. and this new woman's trying to create this relationship, but then it's like this ex is constantly here and I'm trying to find my role here. And like, I can't forge this relationship Mm -hmm. and like see how it kind of all becomes super complicated. Yeah. So I know for me, like a lot of stepmoms, it gets really uncomfortable when the in-laws still have a really good relationship with the ex, especially if it's high conflict. Cause you're like, okay, well, like how am I supposed to create a family dynamic here right. if they're still there, right? But then they were in their life for so long. Yeah. And it's so funny because we always looked at that situation as like, I would be the ex. I never put it in like your position. I was never looking at that perspective as like the new person coming in. I always had that perspective as if Ryan brought in, like say we separated and Ryan brought in a new person. I am still close with his parents. Like I would go for lunch with his mom and I never thought like how my presence would be really tough on the new way. Mm-hmm. And, and like, those are the kind of things that you had put into perspective for us because everybody, the world revolves around you, like for everyone, like that is your life, right? Like it's really hard yeah. to look out at that. And so that was super eye opening. <laughs> Once we get divorced after, cause we had this poop conversation. Now we will have this yeah, like, I will deal with it. But yeah. yeah so here's, a, here's a great question uh, that I always think about. Like if Brittany and I ever got a divorce, right? So let's say, Jamie, you and I got married. Brittany and I got a divorce and you and I got married. I'm really good friends with Brittany's dad and I go golfing with Brittany's dad on a consistent basis. How pissed off would you be if I'm going golfing with her dad? I don't think I would mm-hmm. personally care. I would think I would be pissed. You would for sure be pissed. Yeah. You would be pissed. You would be like, he's, especially if there's a high conflict situation, right? Like if everyone can get along, that's amazing. But maybe you and Ryan are in court over child support. And And I just shot an 81 with your dad. And then Ryan's going golfing with your dad. And you're like, seriously, dad, Mm -hmm. you know, do you know what he's putting me through when really that's a you issue, not a them issue. Mm -hmm. But it gets complicated, right? Right. But the question is, as the new woman, do you create boundaries? What are those boundaries? Because I just look at, like, for instance, my ex-girlfriend, which was years and years and years and years and years ago. I I did find this weird. (laughs) I was really close with their parents, really close with their parents, but really close with their siblings as well. And so recently, their siblings just had a stag, stag and doe. And the question was, do I attend that stag and doe as a guest? You're invited. Of course I was invited. I'm a good guy, but I didn't go. And I didn't go because a, I didn't want to cause drama over there that there didn't need to be, but I also didn't want to cause drama here to have to explain to myself why this relationship that was 15 years ago still still is important to me. I think it would have been like recently. You're recently out of a relationship. You didn't date her. It's been like 20 years. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm giving an example. So as the other woman, as the new woman coming in, if your husband hypothetically had these relationships that were foundational relationships in his life, do you honor those relationships or do you put boundaries around them? Well, I think it all comes down to like your own insecurities though too, right? And like having open and honest conversations. I always feel like if something triggers you, like there's an insecurity or a fear there. Like what is that about? Right? Like diving into that. So I think there probably would be a time where I'd be like, okay, that's so freaking weird. Like why do you have to do that? But here's the other piece. I can't set boundaries for mm-hmm. you right? because we're married now. <laughs> Lovely wedding. <by laughs> like I can't set boundaries for you. Mm-hmm. I can make a request and I can say, this makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I struggle with this, but I can't control you. So if that's something that's important to sure. you, maybe that's a deal breaker for me, right? Like, or that makes mm-hmm. me uncomfortable. Maybe it's something I just have to deal with. 
because you ultimately get to make your own choices. So I think that's where a lot of stepmoms also struggle. Like I can't come in and tell my husband the boundaries that he needs to set. Mm -hmm. You get to have your boundaries. I get to have my boundaries. But that's where I think it's about having like those open and honest conversations, like right off the bat saying like, hey, this is how this is. This is how this situation works. This is how this dynamic works. And Mm -hmm. like, if you're in, you're getting all of this versus, you know, someone coming in and having to request all of these changes. But that's where it gets really, really hard. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I have another question for you because this is a really important question. I knew you did. You would use the analogy of a hockey game, right? Yeah. On our podcast. And then you stole that analogy for this podcast. Not stole it. Like you used that as the example of the previous podcast. How hard, so I'm assuming that one of the children that you came into plays hockey or some sort of sports, how hard do you cheer? How hard do you cheer? And then do you feel like you are restricted in the amount of cheering you're allowed to do for a kid that is in your life, but not your child? Interesting. I think at the very beginning, I didn't cheer loud. I just would sit there. But then I think like as time went on, I started to cheer louder. I never thought about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I think once I became more secure and created Mm -hmm. like, you know, the hockey moms ended up becoming my really good friends, right? Like I was really good friend. Like I've met two of my best friends through my stepson's hockey. And what worked out well though, is that two of the boys were in hockey and she was closer with the moms on the other team. And I was closer with the moms on this team. So it just kind of worked out that way. So that she would chum more over there. And so when it was our week, she might not be there. She might be at the other hockey. Yeah. Right. So I think there was that. I do think I probably didn't cheer as loud if she was there. This is so interesting. I never thought about this. I think it would be like a comfortability thing. Like as you get more comfortable, as your relationships become more solidified, you feel almost more like justified in your cheering. Mm -hmm. It's just such a weird thing for me to think about because I am not related to anyone on the Chicago Blackhawks, but when they score, I cheer because I'm cheering for the team that I care about. Yeah. You're cheering for the team that you care about with an individual on that team that you truly care about. But yet you have to think about how loud am I allowed to cheer in front of this group? Because the truth is hockey moms, soccer moms, dance moms, cheer moms, any kind of social dynamics, you're going to have these pods of people that either like you or do not like you and they're on the same team. Mm -hmm. But when you're the other woman coming into these very tight pods, you're not in that tight pod. Do you feel like you're being judged just by sitting in the stands and cheering for you know, this kid that you care about. Yeah. You know, it definitely was uncomfortable at the beginning. I remember when Darren and I first got together and I first started going to hockey and then we were pregnant. We didn't sit with anyone. Mm-hmm. Like we really didn't sit with anyone and we just kind of sat together. And I remember like changing my clothes like five times before going to like a hockey game. Like who the hell cares what you wear to like a yeah. kid's hockey game? But I would change my clothes so many times or like, you know, just be worried about how I was perceived and like what I looked like or did I fit in or, you know, what did people say? But yeah, there were definitely people at the beginning who were like so welcoming and then you just kind of felt like you fit in right away. But then mm-hmm. there were people who weren't. But looking back, you just have to know if you're like a stepmom listening to this and you feel like people in the hockey team or whatever team aren't open to you, that's their own insecurities and like their own fears. They're projecting their own fears and insecurities from their marriage or maybe something they're going through on you. Like it's Mm -hmm. not actually about you. It's about what you represent. Totally. Now, here's another dynamic to this because I know you got to wrap this up. 
So you've got the social idea of the other moms that are staring at you. Oh my God, Jamie's cheering too loud. Does the thought ever come into your head that the child you're cheering for is going to be like, why is she cheering for me? Yeah. We got to read the room, right? Like I'm always like, take your cues from your stepkids. Like they're going to tell you how involved they want you to be. Mm -hmm. There's this really interesting day. I actually wrote a blog post about it. So it was all the moms were supposed to wear jerseys. It was playoffs. And I was like, oh, okay. So all the moms are supposed to wear the kids, like the other Jersey. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. I was literally like torn. I'm like, do I wear the Jersey? Cause I know like his mom's going to be there. And like, is he wanting the Jersey? And I knew we had the Jersey at our Mm -hmm. house, but I kind of wanted to wear the Jersey and all my friends were wearing the Jersey. And I, you know, was right into the hockey and all that. And I didn't know what to do. And I was like stressed about it all day. And I walked downstairs and um, Darren was dropping my stepson off early and he looked back. He's like, Hey Jamie, don't forget the Jersey. Like, don't forget to wear the Jersey. And I remember just being like, Oh, you know, like it was like this. I think sometimes we often overthink it Mm -hmm. too. And, you know, I went there and she was wearing a different Jersey because we had the Jersey at our house. So she would have had Mm -hmm. to wear a different warriors Jersey. And I remember being like, Oh, I bet for her, that's like, get that freaking jersey off, like that I should be wearing that. I bet that was hard. Like, I think if it was Reese, I would be like, that'd be my jersey. Thank you. (laughs) You can wear the other one. It was a situation, right? It is like this dance. Like, how do you show Mm. up? Like the cheering analogy is actually really good. Like how loud should I cheer? Like how much should I be involved? Yeah. And you know, I really appreciate that you've opened this whole idea up to the two of us. This is an entire, entirely different world and a perspective that we didn't really put much thought or energy into. And I'm going to assert that most people don't. But to think about Mm -hmm. the stress that goes into a person's life, to think about, should I wear this? Should I not wear this? Should I change eight times before I get there? All of those things that exist, all of a sudden you show up and then boom, again, we go back to the whole judging or creating thing. I'm judging this woman who I don't realize has spent the better part of the last hour changing her outfit to make sure that She's comfortable in this place and doesn't look too good, but doesn't look too bad. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm judging her for cheering too loud. Like, who the fuck am I to judge this person who's choosing to be happy with an individual who also has children from a previous marriage? I didn't think about it, but now that I think about it, and I thank you for having this discussion with us and, and bringing this up and having an entire community wrapped around it. There's just so many layers to this that we just didn't think about out of ignorance, maybe. I don't know, but we're so grateful that you created the space for us to even understand that there is another space to think from or a perspective to look at. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, when we get married, Ryan, you can totally go for (laughs) golf with her dad. Perfect. Thank you. Rick, I hope you're hearing this podcast. Thank you so much, guys. This has been so good. And I'm going to link the podcast episode that I did on your show because I think people are going to want to go back and reference Mm -hmm. it. But yeah, this is so good. You guys are awesome. And I hope you guys don't have too big of a blowout about the pooing thing. Oh, we'll be fine. No, I'm just joking. For five days. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much, Amy. This is fun. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, and if the podcast has been resonating with you, I would be forever grateful if you would head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to this episode, be sure to send it their way. Now, if you are craving more, head to my website, jamiescrimger.com. There are lots of blog posts and podcast episodes and resources available for you over there. 
And if you really want to dive in, I do take on a limited number of coaching clients every month. So you can book one call or work with me for three months. Either way, we will create an individualized plan for your unique stepfamily situation. Remember, sitting around biatching about how hard being a stepmom is won't make being a stepmom any easier. If you want change in your life, it has to start with you. Chat with you next week.